Um, I'm uh, Don Thompson. I work at uh, Global Health Outreach and the Christian Medical Dental Associations. I do family medicine and preventive medicine public health. I mostly poke skunks for a living. I try to change things. I use about a 10-foot pole to poke skunks and prod bureaucracies in a different direction, hopefully the right direction. Sometimes I get sprayed. Usually I don't. Um, but I'm going to talk about um, how, if you, can, if you can really make short-term missions any good, can you get a long-term impact out of short-term missions? Because after all, they're not any good, right? I mean, how much money do you spend on sending 10 or 20 or 30 people to, to uh, some other country to just be a big burden on the long-termers that are there? Um, so so you're, always, you're always a burden on the long-termers that are there. And, the, and besides, everybody who goes, they're really just looking for some good shots for their camera. They're looking for an exotic experience, chance to go shopping. Um, guilty as charged, eh? Um, People are throwing around money when they're, when they're in these, these settings where there are long-termers working on a few dollars a day or a few dollars a month, and then you have somebody who will, who will toss out $300 and really mess up the local economy for the people who live there long-term, both the nationals and then, and then anybody else who's working there long-term. And the only thing that changes is that the people, when they come home, have all these neat pictures of all the poor people they were able to pet and all the, all the neat places they went and, and all the nice people they helped. So why don't we just send that fifty, seventy-five, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 a year or a trip to the long-termers who are there and then, and then uh, let them use it more effectively, right? Right. The right answer is right. <laughs> Many times the answer is right because there are disastrous long, uh, short-term teams that go. Um, however, comma, I'm going to present some contrary ideas because I am a contrarian. I don't know what that means. Um, sometimes it means I root for UK. I don't know if that means I'm contrarian <laughs> in this part of town. But what we'll do is we'll talk about how you can really make an investment in long-term change with a short-term trip. Because people are doing short-term trips, whether you like it or not, whether they're effective or not, people are going to be doing it. And they're not going to just write that $2,500 check to send, um, to send themselves or their family. Um, to, they're not going to write that check and send it to the missionary agency. They just are not thinking, how can I advance the kingdom? They're thinking, well, how can I go on the short-term trip? So, so um, there, are, there are differences that you can, that you can make long-term. Um, We'll talk about that, and my focus, of course, is going to be on healthcare teams. That's what I do for a living. That's the title of the talk. Um, I got a free lunch for doing it, so um, so we'll talk about healthcare teams. But almost everything I'm talking about applies to non-healthcare teams. Also, if you're a youth pastor and you're taking youth trips, you need to pay attention to this stuff because those are the trips that most of them ought to be canceled. Not all of them, but many of them are causing more trouble. Then, then, they're, then they're doing good. So um, long-term impact, long-term impact means some kind of long-term change where you're going. And, and the desired thing is that you go in, you have an interaction with somebody, and then there's long-term change so that you can take credit or blame for whatever it is that happens. And that long-term change could be in the people that you visit or it could be in you could be the people who you visited or the people who actually went. And uh, I hope it's both. Our goal is to make it both. Um, 
when we refer to people, when we refer to the location that's being visited in, in uh, development lingo, lingo, it's called capacity development. You're building capacity in the area that's, that you're visiting. Simply put, it means leading behind some change that allows the people who are visited to develop some new kind of capacity, and hopefully it's from some kind of positive interaction with, um, with, that you have had with them. In the healthcare setting, this may mean um, improved capacity in delivering healthcare services. If you're into prevention and IM, you know that you get the most bang for your buck in the potty. It has to do with water and sanitation, clean water and good sanitation, um, nutrition, hygiene, health education. Health education has got to be done often and early and often and early, just like voting in New Orleans, early and often. <laughs> you do it and you do it again and you reinforce it. Has anybody ever had teenagers or been one themselves? Uh, it over and over and over again. So, so that's, that's a lot of capacity development. It's, you know, it's kind of banging your head over and over again against the same wall and hoping things are going to change, and sometimes they do even though nothing else has changed except your persistence and your hematoma. Um, but being persistent itself can show that can, can sometimes drive a little bit of change. So in the, um, in the healthcare setting, um, it can mean those things I just mentioned. Water sanitation are the best areas. And disciple-making and the spiritual side, disciple-making is, is uh, somewhere up there on importance um, of, on the spiritual side. So it can be training in disciple-making, it can be demonstrating disciple-making, it can be evangelism, it can be church planting, there are lots of different things. Whether that should be done by people on the short-term team or the long-termers, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that. may mean doing it or may be participating it or in it or it may be facilitating it somehow. And then on the program management side, for those of you who like to, uh, to play with Gantt charts, uh, program management means being able to manage projects and programs, trying to figure out what I have to do first and second and third and not getting the sequence all messed up. So it may mean improved planning. It may mean improved budgeting. It may mean um, all kinds of the different aspects of program management activities. If you want money, if you want to get a grant from somebody, you're going to have to demonstrate the ability to write up a project proposal, to have a budget attached to it, to have some deliverables that go with that, and, it, and to make it look like there's some kind of strategy behind that. And then you're going to have to deliver at the other end. I won't comment on how well some of your U.S. government agencies do that. Um, our short-term teams partner with, with um, long-term partners who are doing both the spiritual side and who are doing the church planning side. My, one of my uh, uh, favorite areas... Um, I haven't visited their booth here yet, which shame on me. The guys may be here right now, um, but a shout-out to Global Hope Network. They're one of our partners in Ethiopia, and Ethiopia, the, the uh, government says you can, get a, you can get a license for spiritual work or you can get a license for developmental work, but you can't get a license to do both. So, so uh, crew... Campus Crusade for Christ started there with the Jesus Film Project and uh, has migrated to Great Commission. They've got a 99-year plan for reaching all of the unreached people groups in Ethiopia. And, and they have one arm that is, is Great Commission that handles the spiritual side. They've got another arm called Global Hope Network that handles the developmental side. And we, we uh, partner with both. They're kissing cousins. They're the same people 
who, who, and they're, they're working regularly together. But um, we'll go on, we'll take short-term teams to villages in two different, two different areas in Ethiopia when we can, when it's appropriate. We'll do a pastor's conference with uh, some training of pastors. That opens up the whole question of literacy and oral learning. Um, sometimes that works very well, and sometimes there's room for improvement in the way we do things on that. Um, our, our teams to remote villages will work on enhancing capabilities in, um, in interacting with the uh, local medical system. We, we actually worked in, a, in a, one of the government clinics where the government had been settling some nomadic tribes. Um, Global Hope Network has people who are doing health education, who are doing nutrition, who are working on sustainable agriculture. And then, and then uh, Great Commission, the spiritual side, has people who are actually in there doing some church planting work, doing evangelism. And it's a, it's a complex setting, lots of different uh, faith traditions and, and um, lots, of, uh, lots of successes. And they, they use us greatly to augment both sides of their, their ministry. So we improve their interaction with, local, with the local medical System and then and then we we uh, help them and in other countries where we work with uh, cooperating more with like-minded churches that are that are in the area and every opportunity we can we're providing church planting um, opportunities from the different contacts that are made we attract people like a like a bug zapper a lot of people will come in when we're when we're there and you'll have 600 or 800 people over over a week, and these are people that would not rub up against these church planters otherwise, but it, but it uh, brings, it, it starts a relationship at a very early level of, uh, uh, that can be then followed up on, and uh, needs can be explored, physical needs and, and spiritual needs can then be explored that then allow you to go, uh, go to the cross. Um, I'll talk about... Uh, the, 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 there can be a profound long-term impact on the people that are there and then also on the people who go. So, so I'm going to talk about a bit more there. But some, uh, some real cautions. Um, I'm a Westerner. I'm a white guy from the suburbs. I have gray hair. I think a certain way. I talk a, different, a certain way. And I interact a certain way with people. And when I go to other countries... I almost always meet people who were raised in different suburbs than I was raised, like always. And, you know, they have a different, they have a different opinion of a watch, of what, the, what this thing means, whether it matters. Um, they think in a different way. I tend to think in a linear line. Better not get outside my wire here. I, I think linearly, and there are these other people who are just thinking all over, I mean, the circular um, logic, I use that word loosely, the circular thinking that people are using is, is just a real challenge. Just last week, one of my uh, American partners in the area we were working just said, I, I am so dependent on the Holy Spirit for what I'm doing here because I, I am a linear thinker and I want a yes or a no. <laughs> and I'm just not getting that. I mean, I can't get a yes or a no. I have to come back. I mean, we, we, I asked one night, why did our, our local national partner, why did he chew out one of my docs at our, at our evening meeting? And she said, I just am not sure. I don't really know what was going on. Now, it turned out three days later, we learned that what he was probably doing was chewing out one of his interpreters. But in that culture, you don't chew anyone out publicly. 
you go roundabout. You don't really chew out the group, though you can get pretty, pretty vocal and loud. So, so different thinking. I was uncomfortable. She was uncomfortable. We were good with the discomfort because who's in charge? The Holy Spirit's in charge, and it went and it worked out very well. But we got to be careful with imposing our Western expectations, and that includes didactic training. I read books. I'm okay with a lecture. Some of you are going to be okay with this lecture. Some of you will be asleep in about three minutes. I know I drone and I'm very monotonous and boring. I've been told that on evaluations before. So I'm, I'm okay with you telling me that. That's the, way, that's the way I am. There are other people who are very good at telling stories and thinking out loud. I'm married to one of them who thinks out loud. I love it. You're such a great cross-cultural wife, my dear. Um, so who has married somebody who's identical to them? Come on, I dare you to raise your hand. Right, that's not going to happen. So, so you will not solve these differences. You will see these differences, and you will not solve them. But what you need to do is you need to understand where you're coming from. You need to, um, you need to understand the importance of relationships, your feeling about relationships, and their feeling about relationships. Your circular, your thinking and reasoning, and their cir- their circular thinking and reasoning, because usually it's often different. Um, the uh, importance of commitments. Um, it's vitally important for you to understand where you are coming from. You need to understand that, okay, I'm linear, I'm obsessive-compulsive, I'm overly focused on, on time, I have no feelings. If you want feelings, talk to my wife. You know, it's, it's let's go, let's move, let's go on. And in some countries, that's okay. And when I was in the Air Force, that was quite okay. Because when we were supposed to have bombs on target at a certain minute, they were there at a certain minute. It was plus or minus 30 seconds. That was the variation. And I was in a, another country that uh, in, in uh, well, I was in another country, and, and our national partner said, well, we need to be ready on the bus at 8.30. And what he really meant is we needed to be on the bus by 9, but he knew how, it, how slow our team was getting on. Well, the team was on the bus at 8.30, and the door was closed, and he said, Wow, I didn't expect that. So he was, at, he was really blown away. That just shows how different I am from the other partner, the other guy who had been leading the team the previous year who was from California. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. <laughs> but, but understand yourself. Understand your own biases. Understand your own expectations. You need to understand. You need to have some kind of a grasp of the fears of the worldview, the biases, the expectations, the constraints, mostly the constraints of the people you're working with. Because you may say, that just doesn't matter. Well, I worked with a guy, a senior um, official in a certain country, that if he fired somebody, he, would, he was at risk of getting assassinated the next day. And I had to say that to a senior official in our government, in, in our Department of Health and Human Services. If you, if you mess up, if you do something wrong, you're just going to get slimed in the Washington Post. Somebody's going to write a bad op-ed about you in the Washington Post. They had just done that a few weeks before, so it resonated with him. But if this minister in this other country does that, he's going to run the risk of getting assassinated. Because they, they were complaining that they fired somebody, and she was back at work the next week. Well, of course she's back at work. How are you going to stay alive otherwise? In that kind of setting. So you really have to understand those, uh, those constraints. And then as best you can, you understand the methods and the mechanisms to navigate the differences. 
it's a lot of fun to navigate those differences. You're not going to solve them. You're going to navigate them. Your goal should be to understand them, negotiate the differences with great humility, and then get comfortable with the differences, relish the differences, enjoy them, and then sit back and watch the Holy Spirit work. Because the Holy Spirit will bring glory to himself while you are sitting there stewing and and how uncomfortable you are and how they're not doing what you want. That's where the Holy Spirit's going to start to work because you are getting out of the picture. It's not all about you. See Isaiah 46. It's not all about you. He will bring glory to himself through people who are doing things differently from you and they're being just as effective, and I'm using effective in a Western way, they're just that the outcome is just as effective, if not more so, than if you had done it. And then depend on the Lord's sovereign guidance to work out his purpose in you. Because one of the reasons you're sitting in this setting where you're uncomfortable is because God is changing you. He's making you more effective. He's making you more dependent on him. And he's, you're learning to respect and show respect to your national partners more. And that's going to be hugely beneficial to the partnership. If you don't, you probably won't have any. You won't have the positive benefit that you sought in the, in your short-term team in the first place. And the odds are pretty good that you're going to leave conditions worse off than when you than when you arrived. And you certainly won't have a fulfilling time. So this gap, this gap between expectations and the actual cultural setting, is the is a major contributor, if not the major contributor, to early return of people who seek to work long-term in different cultural settings. People go with certain expectations. I've talked to some of you on the phone. I know how painful it is. I know you are going to solve world hunger the second week and world peace the third week, or you are going to make it so that women were respected in such and such culture, or even ratchet it down um, um, a few decimal places. You're not going to do that. You're going to go. You're going to learn. You're going to learn how to, how to learn. And you're going to build relationships, and then the Holy Spirit's going to start to use you effectively. People who are doing CP work, CP means church planning work, um, it's usually between 8 and 15 years of being on the field before they start getting effective. Anybody got 8 years to start being effective in something? Anybody have that much patience? It's a lot of time. But that's, that's how long it takes to really get um, it, it takes a significant amount of time to really get good at, uh, at what this is. And, how, and here I am talking about getting good at something using my Western way of, of uh, looking at that. But the, the um, ability that you have, the successful navigation of these cultural differences, that can be used greatly to build long-term capacity with your national partners and then if you're working with expats who are working in another country to, to uh, do that. So you being able to navigate that, to sit back and, and take direction, take orders from them, is, is huge. So that's, that can be used greatly. And in my experience, it is the major contributor to effectiveness. I've got about um, 60 volunteer team leaders in my organization that we train up, and I think maybe five, six, seven of them are really, really, really good and could go in just about any cultural setting, have any problems thrown at them, and would be able to adjust accordingly, do a little tap dance, and, and they'd, uh, they'd come out on top. 
And, but that's six or seven people, and they've been doing this for many, many years. Now, short-term, they've been doing it on short-term trips, but they've learned and they've, they're wired in such a way that they make those adjustments. Of course, my goal is to have a lot more than five or six or seven, but these are people who have done this and done it intensively and have been trained intensively. So, so um, it can be done. So, so while not all short-term teams are superb, some are. And so I take the stance that not only are not only is it possible for short-term teams to contribute to long-term impact, that short-term teams regularly have a long-term impact when they're done well. And this requires um, planning and it requires flexibility. So I'm going to unpack the important areas that I think need attention. That's just the second half. Um, the the uh, three areas that I'm going to um, uh, unpack have to do with with uh, spiritual areas and then with the uh, with working in the uh, national setting in non-spiritual areas. Um, so the first the first one, remember the impact in the spiritual con- context when we're talking about spiritual things, it depends on um, change that's based on an interaction. Remember I said that up front. You have an interaction, and then there's some positive change that comes out that. Now, what's our goal in missions? Okay, finally, make disciples. I heard that. I read that somewhere. It's actually in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke, it's in John, it's in Acts. Make disciples. Um, And believe it or not, well, we won't go there. I don't have three hours. I could take three hours. Um, it's, to, it's to carry out the Great Commission, and, and that's to make disciples. Make disciples while we're going, to, and, that, and we may be going across borders. We may be going across cultural borders, geographic borders, socioeconomic borders, faith tradition borders. It's um, making disciples by baptizing, which includes and, and is built on evangelizing. It's built, it includes initial training in the good news. It means taking people to the foot of the cross. It means taking people to commitment in publicly declaring their faith in Jesus Christ. That's part of making disciples. That's the part of the baptizing thing. And then there's teaching. Teaching to observe all things is what Christ said. He said it. I think it's kind of important. And that means all things, observing all things, growth, in spiritual life, growth, and doctrine. Those are all important. So long-term impact that comes from that is making disciple-makers. You make disciple-makers within. I I focus on making disciple-makers within my short-term teams. If I take 20 people somewhere, I'd like all of them. I'll settle for as many as God identifies because I am a little bit of a Calvinist in that side of things. God is in charge. Um, I would like everyone to be stronger in disciple-making, in, in making disciples, and then focus on disciple-making within our long-term, our national partners, and then within the people we're visiting. Often that's via, that's via our national partners, but sometimes it's directly, um, directly by us. What's the foundation? The foundation is back to glorifying God. I mentioned Isaiah 46, Romans uh, 1 talks about glorifying God by unashamed sharing of the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And it's the revelation of God's righteousness. 
And then you have to contextualize it to build bridges so that you can get across and talk to people where, where they are. The undesired change is just the opposite of that. It's not glorifying God. Who might you glorify instead of God? You might glorify yourself. You might develop dependence. Has anybody ever heard of the concept of developing dependence in missions? Right. Books out there are all kinds of books you can read that talk about developing a te- a dependence. One of my favorites is Toxic Charities. Um, it's well worth, uh, well worth a read, and then there certainly are others. So the foundation is glorifying God. I am not going to spend time telling this story. Who was here last year when I did this? Good, you can sit through it. I am going to tell it again. <laughs> um, so I was in, there's, there's this guy who is a village elder. He is, uh, this is in Tuka, in southern Ethiopia, down near, right on the Kenya border. And um, we had spent a couple of weeks caring for folks, and they wanted to honor us at the end of our meeting with a coffee ceremony. Well, with a, they wanted to bless us. It wasn't a typical Ethiopian coffee ceremony. That had come earlier while we were eating the uh, fatted calf, uh, scrawny goat it actually was, but, but it was, they, they, uh, they bought us a goat and they slaughtered it and served it with, uh, with fresh coffee that was roasted in front of us. But then they wanted to bless us, and so the couple of the village, several of the village elders were going to come into the room we were stuffed into, and I said, no, let's move out on the porch because then there's more room, and then I also want to bless you. So we moved out there, and you can see there's a line there about, 20 people lined up. You can see just six or seven of them. And they had this, this uh, ceremony. This is, um, this is the main village elder. He had the position of honor with his stick. And you can see he's a different faith tradition than the guy on his left and uh, than the guy on his right. So, so uh, lots of different faith traditions mixing here. And I was looking for an opportunity to get back to the cross to take people to the foot of the cross. And I had been praying about that. As soon as I heard they wanted to bless us, I said, I mean, I countered with this and then got my team starting to pray about that. And, and so we went over there, and they had this um, little wizened old lady. I don't know. Can you, see, can you see that pot that she's carrying in front of her? Um, well, on this side you can. She's got, she's got an iron pot in a ladle. And she is uh, down on her knees and is carrying – I'm going to hang myself soon. And, and this guy is ladling this, this stuff. It's not cooked coffee. It's just raw coffee beans that have been soaking and steeping in that. And he just picks it up and, and ladles it back in, and everybody else has their hands out and they're chanting. And, um, and then they, she started with the, the main guy in the center – and then went down the line in order of, uh, of their importance. And, and then and our interpreter was saying she, they're, they're blessing the earth. They're blessing the weather. They're blessing your trip home. They're, they're doing all these things. And, and, um, and so they, they went right down the road, right down the row. And then it was my turn to talk to them. And I talked about how... Um, how glad we were to be able to come. I, I praised them for honoring um, people who were, who were elderly, who were old, who had experience, 
and singled out the little old lady with the, with the coffee because these are the elders. These are the people who are responsible for the decision-making in their community. And so I was elevating them, and I was putting responsibility on them to listen very carefully and discern what decisions they had to make based on what they were about to hear. And, and, uh, and they all paid attention. And I said, I said you know, um, we're, we come from many different faith traditions. I said, some of you are Baronifa, this, this main guy in the center, and then the guy to his left. Some of you are followers of Islam, and a number of people nodded. And some of you are Orthodox. Some of you are, are followers of Jesus Christ, as, as am I and my team. And, um, and you know, many of our, our different faith traditions are very similar. They're, they're very much the same because they show how we are trying to win um, some degree of forgiveness for our sins before a God who has told us that he will punish us for our sins. And they're very much the same until you get to this gap that's called sin. And you can't get across that because you cannot approach God because he is absolutely holy and you are not. And they understood that. That resonated with them. I said, now, we came from the United States. We brought, um, we brought equipment. We brought medicine. And then this guy jumped up in my face. He's a main elder. He jumped up in my face, and he, his stick clattered down on the porch. And he said, you're right. You did bring very strong medicine because I saw you yesterday. I didn't remember this guy from Adam. And the day before, we had been churning and burning because we had 200 people that had to be seen in a very short period of time. And, and, and my nurse practitioner, she said, these people don't need to be seen. They just want to be seen. I said, yeah, that's right. They do. And we're going to see them. And, 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 but he said, you gave me a very strong, you gave me very strong medicine because I took a pill this morning and I am much better, fastest acting multivitamin I had ever seen. <laughs> but that wasn't the point because this guy, just got in my face, and he validated what I was about to say in front of everybody else. I couldn't have asked for that. I was a little scared when he jumped up in my face. Fortunately, the stick went down on the ground, not towards me. But, but he, he jumped up there. And then he, he sat back down, and I said, and you know, when I saw your ceremony, your coffee ceremony, and I saw that vat of coffee, that reminded me of the love that God really does have for you and has for me because that coffee, and I ladled some out, I said that is what God's gift of covering our sin with his blood, that reminds me of how God promised to, to do that in the form of Jesus Christ. He sent himself and he sent his son who, who came to the earth 2,000 years ago, absolutely perfect so that he could die for our sins. And the night before he did, he had a ceremony where he held up something that represented that, that blood that he was going to spill the next day to cover our sin. And, um, and, I, and I said, this, that's what this reminded me of, of his blood covering your sin. And I said, and every time I drink coffee, I am going to... Pray that God will reveal his love to you 
He will show his love to you by revealing his truth. He will appear to you in dreams and visions, and he will show his truth to you. And every time you drink coffee, I want you to pray that God will reveal himself to you and reveal his truth to you. And, and so that was just a simple contextualization, though, of taking advantage of an opportunity to have a long-term impact. And it was the last, it was the last chance. We churned and burned a lot. But I think this half an hour was probably the most significant of the two weeks that we were there, um, all because of some coffee. So, so we talked about change, the desired change. What are the target groups for our short-term healthcare missions? I've rattled off a few of them. Team members. Who else? What? Who else would you target? Let's get Socratic here. That means answers. Patience, that's right. I mentioned our national team already. There are always a lot of hangers-on who are watching, and then you've got people back home who are supporting and praying for you. And every one of those is a target group for your short-term trip, your short-term mission. But how are you going to engage them so that there is a long-term impact? Now, the team, when it goes, um, um, Priest wrote something in Christianity Today a few years ago about how a short-term trip can actually function as a little bit of a sustained communal, communal time of spiritual formation away from the distractions and obligations of home. Unfortunately, there is Wi-Fi just about everywhere we go, so the distractions of home continue. But the focus where we go is other-oriented. We're emphasizing service, we're emphasizing witness, we're emphasizing other people's needs, not your own. We're emphasizing relationships with social others, not people who are just like me, social others. And that's at the center of the spiritual formation efforts. So that's a key to your long-term change on your team. We emphasize professionalism in healthcare, of course, Really a commitment to serve, not just serving once a year, get your inoculation of, of uh, international service, but how are you going to serve next week when you get back home and next month? And really, really emphasizing mentoring and discipling others. Is anybody in here smarter than anyone else in anything? Every hand ought to go up. I know you're all just too humble for that. But everyone can be mentoring somebody because you all know more than others in, in, uh, in something. And then really demonstrating unity with people from other backgrounds, and that can be other religious backgrounds. I mean, it's so much fun to have Baptists, Presbyterians, and Pentecostals on the same team worshiping together. That is so much fun. We don't talk about baptism. We don't talk about things that aren't core and central, but it's just so much fun. Um, It's crucial to walk before Christ in humility, though, The people on your team come loaded. They come with baggage. I know that's a surprise, but people come with baggage. As an example, here's here's a list of uh, nine sacred pathways from a a book that I'll tell you about in a sec. These are just ways that people choose to worship God. Some people worship God more in the outdoors or they worship with their senses or through ritual. Some people are, are more intellectual, some with mystery and celebration, some through adoration, lots of different ways to worship to uh, worship God. 
And that is just, you multiply that, you put that on steroids, and that's the personality mix that you'll have on your team on a good day. And then you take them 12 time zones and put them in air quality of 900 and languages that they don't speak and snakes, and you bring out a few other personality characteristics. Uh, the, the fun thing is um, there are temptations and risks associated with every one of these. And this is two slides of summaries. Um, recognize these in any of your um, friends, not you, of course. But, but uh, look at that. I mean, individualism, guilty, idolizing myself, guilty, worshiping without conviction, worshiping worship for the sake of worship, um, overemphasizing personal piety, judging, serving ourselves through serving others, just all kinds of things. Every one, every individual characteristic comes with its own um, red flags. And there are two slides of these. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, challenges. Those are the people that will be on your short-term team before you ever, before you ever get anywhere. Um, and, and we see these on our teams. We see these challenges and personalities on our teams just in the day-to-day activities of uh, serving. I encourage you to take a look at the book. It's, called, it's by Gary Thomas. The uh, subtitle, Thou Shalt Not Covet Thy Neighbor's Spiritual Walk, which is, uh, is very, uh, very appropriate. So, so uh, cross-cultural communication and, spir- and cultural navigation is really the next step. We talked about internal spiritual issues, but then the next is cross-cultural um, work, working with others. And the challenge is you have, a, you have a dysfunctional team, a team that has just one or two bad apples on it, and it might negate every bit of positive work that your team has done. And that will happen. If you're being spiritually effective, the deceiver is going to focus in on you. We, we, uh, we get to see that all too often. Um, you focus on team selection. You focus on setting, setting expectations. Um, we really focus on building the spiritual focus, emphasizing the spiritual focus of our teams. Um, if, if we don't have a spiritual focus, then we're not going to look any different from a, uh, a certain NGO whose hospital just got bombed in Afghanistan a few weeks ago. Um, we, will, we will look like a secular group. We don't deserve to be treated any differently. As a matter of fact, we deserve some judgment, and Malachi at 1 talks about that, because we're prostituting the Lord's table by saying that we're doing our best when we're, we're really not. We're just not looking any different. We're being hypocritical. So failure to prepare for these spiritual issues, failure to, po- to follow up on spiritual lessons learned will likely lead to falling away once the trip is over. So you want to set expectations early. You want to get together with the team to build these expectations, either in person or electronically. We do it electronically because our folks come from all over the continent sometimes all over the world, um, and then maintaining those expectations. We reemphasize this often on the team, every morning, every evening, lunchtime. Um, I, uh, you know, the, we have evening God sightings. There's ongoing walking around to make sure that people are doing okay, encourage praying with patients when that's culturally appropriate. Um, I rotate my people around when somebody's starting to look a little bit burned out, then then I, uh, we rotate into the, 
into some place that's got a little bit less stress for a moment. Um, got an official buddy system, got an unofficial buddy system, um, and then the team leader really needs to be on top of this. If, or, in my case, somebody who has feelings and sensitivity needs to be on top of this. <laughs> so I appoint someone. Um, we, we have the daily devotions for reminders. The, the team leader will have prepared talks. Uh, just lots of different things, but it's often and always, and it's emphasized over and over. And then having testimonies as God's, as you've seen God changing. I'd much rather hear people talk about how God's changing them than have me do the talking. And we see numerous testimonies of, of uh, healthcare workers who have never prayed before with patients, never shared the gospel with anyone in their homework settings, but then they've learned how to do that when they're on the field. And they feel empowered then to come back and they start praying with their patients and they start getting um, aggressive, starting getting a little bit more proactive with their patients. So um, um, our patients, what kind of impact do we have on their physical state? It's usually pretty short term. They, somebody's got worms, they're going to have their worms again. Somebody's got otitis, they're going to have otitis again. Um, but, but taking to the heart and soul issues, you can, you, can, uh, you can have a profound change. So not as much physical, but the physical, meeting the physical needs allows you license to talk about soul issues. Now, you need to understand um, or have somebody with you who is of like language and culture to help you get that. But you can offer hope in everlasting healing. If there's any question, look at Psalm 103. Christ offers that. The Bible offers that. I don't think it's there just to, just to look good. It's, it's, it's true. The compassion of the great physician is really living out the gospel and really revealing God's righteousness. And he promises restoration in relationship with Christ. So all of that is links to being drawn by the Father. doesn't mean you'll see somebody sealing the deal, somebody praying to receive Christ, you know, all those buzzwords that we've been taught. But God is drawing people, and God's drawing cannot be stopped when God is drawing people. And we're to facilitate that. We're to set the, set the stage where, where, uh, where we're given that opportunity. And in our short-term healthcare teams then can create that setting or facilitate that setting for that interaction. So what's the bottom line? Should we just send money that we'd spend on sending a short-term team to the long-term partners? Well, I asked, uh, I asked people in several different continents that last year, and I got a resounding no. They said, we do not have access to the people groups that you exposed us to when you came. I was in one of these countries for just two days visiting five different villages, and they never had that kind of access to those people groups could send them $100,000, that'd be great. Believe me, that'd meet a lot of their budgetary needs, but it wouldn't give them access to these people groups. They say, you and therefore we learned of needs during your visit that we never could learn as long-termers, and now we have open doors for follow-up. One of our partners, I was trying to extend one of our clinics in a Central Asian country by one or two days, and he said, Sir Don, I've got six months, I've got four months worth of work just from your four days of clinic. I can't take on any, I can't add any more days of clinic. So, so um, the, 
the follow-up is done, though, by the long-termers. But we, we serve them, we open doors, and then they do the follow-up. But what about focusing instead on training, motivating, empowering nationals to go, surely that's cheaper. Well, yeah, it is cheaper. But it's a different strategy, requires a longer-term commitment. You engage at different levels in the country, and it's different goals for those who serve. Some teach, some treat, some can go longer term, some can go just for a week. Some people have an amazing capacity for language. I struggle with English, so some people are really good at that. And then there are personality issues. I mean, you saw that list of personality issues. You know what I would do with that list of personality. I would line them up against a wall, and we'd have a come-to-Jesus talk. And that wouldn't work. So I don't do that. I'd like to, no, I wouldn't really like to do that because I know it wouldn't work. But I've also been told, no, we would not be effective. We would not be attracting the people we are attracting if this was a team from our country. They are coming because they know it's an American team. I had, um, I have four new sisters in this country that we were serving. I've already mentioned Indonesia a few times. I can just keep mentioning it. Several of them were, were Muslims, and we had some, uh, I had five, six, seven, eight people in the room at the same time talking about medical, very personal medical issues. HIPAA in that country is a female hippo, that's all. It has nothing to do with privacy. Um, and, and we, you know, I embarrassed the guys in there because they smoked, and the women yelled at them and chewed them out and laughed at them. And then after the guys left, one of the ladies, one of the Muslim ladies, said, thank you so much for coming from America to see us. You are so different from our doctors because you ask us questions and you listen to us. All our doctors want is money. Doesn't? I mean, it's not hard to ask questions. Believe me, I need to ask a lot of questions. We're in those settings. But it's just a phenomenal ability to do that. So bringing... Sending nationals. Believe me, I want to build capacity in, in nationals, and we'll have nationals on our team whenever we can. But you have to deal with it. You're going to attract some people because you're the white Americans, whether you're white or whether you're black or whether you're Asian. Add that hyphen American, and you're going to be attracting people because you're different than than the, the folks who are there all the time. So... Lots of long-term opportunities, lots of short-term opportunities. Um, the the uh, long-term team is going to drive the speed of the work, and it's going to drive the techniques that are used. But the short-termers can provide ideas. We can provide strategies. We can provide consulting. We can provide access to, to um, experts. I hope that says 10 minutes, not three. Good, good. Um, but the short-term team brings very valuable health care to meet critical needs, perceived needs that people have. Remember, perception equals reality when it's perceived. And people perceive that they have these needs, and we go in to meet them, and that scratches their itch, and they're happy. And remember what James 1.27 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So that's it. Questions? Um, I think the hand in the back was first, and then the hand right in the front. You two are right next to each other.
Um, I will give a, a shameless shout-out to InterVarsity Press. They make a great goer guide, G-O-E-R guide. They have a youth version. They have an adult version. We have an all-age version. I think it has enough pictures to keep me awake. Um, it has some prep stuff in it. it a third or half of the, of the book, and it's pretty short. It's, it's maybe 80, 90 pages. Um, it's on reentry because it really prepares you to process what you've been through and then to – to present it, to tell it to other people. We send it to everybody who goes on one of our teams. So go on one of our teams and we'll get one for free. Or you can pay, pay 10 bucks and get it from InterVarsity. <laughs> and right in front of you. Okay, so she takes um, nursing students on short-term medical and, and on medical trips, and so how do you prepare students? Um, I would go right back to focusing on, on spiritual formation 101 because that's where you're going to get the most bang for your – that's where you're going to be most obedient to the Holy Spirit in preparing people for what really matters. Anybody can learn a technical skill, but preparing them for service – Again, I like to read. I, give you, I could give you this many books, but they're not going to read them. So how do you summarize that? That goer guide is nice, but really focusing in on spiritual formation. Um, I, uh, I don't have off the top of my head any real short missionary stories, um, but um, I'm sure several other people do. Other people have some ideas on, on um, ways to prepare People in their late teens, early 20s, spiritual formation. Okay, so that's actually a practical domestic service to identify the wolves and the goats who are going to be problems. Sorry, we have sheep on our teams, and we have pre-sheep, and we have goats, as in tares, you know, the wheat and the tares. So there are people who are on the teams who are going to complain a little bit. They're not going to be too malignant. And then we have wolves. And Acts 19 talks about wolves, and with apologies to Mark Driscoll, he says you should shoot them. You should keep them off the team because they're going to be so destructive. So a lot of our sorting process is just that, is identifying the wolves and encouraging them to go with the competition, <laughs> which might be you. <laughs> Questions from this side? Starker over here, you guys probably slept through it, didn't you? You said something at the beginning about youth ministers taking youth groups and how you would say, don't go. I mean, are there particular instances that you're thinking about and what makes a good youth group helpful? What makes one bad? And is there such a thing as a good short-term mission group with a youth group? Well, I'll assume that this question just came from a youth minister who does youth trips. It may not be the case, but I've, I've heard. I, but it I, changed my life. Right. I mean, those type trips changed the way I look at medical missions. And so to say, don't ever go. You know, you're, you're losing the opportunity to change the lives of people that you go with. Right. The, the prepared, a good short-term team has to be 
well prepared. It has to be planned well where you're going with a particular purpose to serve somebody who's there long term, in, in my humble opinion, and you're preparing your team before they ever go. And when I read the literature and I regularly get slammed by people who are attacking my ministry um, of doing short-term trips and doing a lot of them. I had 1,111 people go on with us last year. Um, so we send a lot of people. And, and uh, so I, I've stopped trying to defend it because I'm so confident that it's being done well. But I still hear and read of all the articles about the youth trip where you couldn't tell them that they're any different except they're all wearing the same T-shirt on the plane. And they're not really doing anything on the on site. They're not being prepared before they ever went. So I think, prep, I think preparing folks before they go is absolutely key. You have to have some criteria for accepting people, and then you've got to have some defined goals, and then you want to evaluate and see if you meet those goals at the other end. Again, they don't have to be medical trips. Um, we have lots of, lots of young people who go on our teams, people who have no medical skills whatsoever. We created a new trip position last year called Toddler. In a one-year-old go, I don't know how effective he was, but <laughs> we, have family, we have families who go where mom or dad is a, is a physician or dentist, and they're bringing their teenagers, and they're spending, they're spending $10,000 and going and serving in Nicaragua for a week rather than going to Cozumel for a week, and it's life-changing. Um, and the toddler came along and didn't have to pay much. The lambs of your trip. Right, the, the little lambs, that's right. Well, the, the question was about um, accommodations, and we, I try to bring everyone back alive, and um, I try to bring them back with their bowel transit time within normal limits. Um, so we, we stay in accommodations that are adequate. Our accommodations in Indonesia were spartan. I shacked up with a guy. We had a king-sized bed. It's no big deal sleeping with somebody to whom I'm not married. We had enough distance between us in the same bed. It was okay. There was no sink in the bathroom. There was a bowl, but not the kind of bowl I wanted to rinse my toothbrush out in. Um, and, and it was Spartan. And I lost weight, and we ate peanut butter and jelly for lunch and Nutella for dessert. That was an experience. Um, so we don't go into the high-end places. If you want to go in the high-end places and be comfortable, that's great. You'll be home soon. I mean, I thank God when I get into my hot shower in the morning now, and I, and I turn on the water, and I have to say, now, where am I? Do I put my cup under the faucet, or do I go and get, a, get out of bottled water? I have never, I'm never well-rested on our trips. There's going to be time to rest after I die. Um, and, you know, the first half of your question had a lot of personal pronouns in it, I, me, my, I. So I just go back to Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11. It's not about you, 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 you. Now, of course, if you're a neurosurgeon and you're doing neurosurgery on me, I want you to be well-rested. <laughs> but I, would, I, would, I wouldn't go to the other extreme of we're going to go out and live in tents. Sometimes we do. You know, that's why the good Lord made diaper wipes, I think, is so that you can go to very remote places and not have to, not have to take baths or showers for a week. Um, but you've got to find that right balance. We stay in, we stay in places that are, that are safe. 
we go into brothels and we have guys on the on the point of of the girls who are going through and talking with the women who are working there because of how dangerous it is. We're not uh, people ask me if it's dangerous. I say, of course not. If it were da- if it weren't dangerous, why would we go? And um, my associate director just asked me. Somebody asked him, "Is it is it safe?" He said, "No. Where do you live?" And she said, "Chicago." <laughs> so, so I I say, be prepared for um, room temperature water if you're lucky. Let me rephrase that: water if you're lucky. Room temperature would be even better, and the food will be adequate. That's me. I vet people with our, our online application. The, the most important things I look at are medications, because if somebody is taking psych medications, I want to know it. And sometimes we don't know it until they're decompensating on the trip. And then I ask for a pastor's name and name of church and pastor's email and address and phone number of church. And if I don't recognize the denomination when I when I look at the name, then I Google them and find out because we partner with with evangelical Protestant organizations wherever we go, and we take people from all kinds of faith traditions, not all, but all kinds of faith traditions, because many of us, many of our trip participants are cultural X, cultural Y, cultural Z. But if it says LDS, my apologies if that's your faith tradition, if it says if it says um, Jehovah's Witness, if it says Baha'i, then I encourage people like that who are following, if they're really followers of those faith traditions, to go with a missions organization that agrees with their faith tradition. Because from what I know of their faith tradition, they think I'm lost and they're going to try to convert me. And I think they're lost and I'm going to try to convert them. So let's just agree that we're 180 degrees different and then it's better for you to go with one of your own. We talk about our spiritual um, – my voucher is approaching from the right. I'm not looking, but she's coming. Um, so so um, we have lots of people who come who, are, who have no confessed faith. And our, it says very blatantly on our application our spiritual goal of missions. And they have to agree that they understand that that's our goal. They don't have to sign the Westminster Confession or the Apostles' Creed, as some people have advised me. But they know that our purpose is to facilitate, it's to build great, great commission disciple makers. And remember, Martin's partner is one of those, and he is hearing the gospel each time he goes as well. Our Martin's partner goes as well, he's not a believer, but Steve is also hearing the gospel because he's with us. Yeah. So it's great, great fun. Thanks so much. Okay. Don't forget your...